0: Look out, it's only films to be buried with. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Films To Be Buried With. My name is Brett Goldstein, I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a psycho killer and I love film. As Patrick Rothfuss once said, There are three things all wise men fear. The Sea and Storm, A Night with No Moon, and The Anger of a Gentleman. Oh, and Hereditary, that is fucking terrifying. A really scary film. Yeah, it is actually, Patrick Rothfuss. Fair play, you're right. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Kevin Smith, Sharon Stone, Jamila Jamil, James Acaster, and even Ked Pambles. But this week is the incredible Mr. Chris Addison, Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you'll get an extra 30 minutes with Chris. We chat about openings and closings. You get a secret from him. You get even more of the whole episode uncut and ad-free as a video. You get all sorts of stuff. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. Big news this week, if you missed it last week, I will be doing a live films to be buried with at five o'clock on the 3rd of July at the Underbelly Festival in London, that is the 3rd of July, 5 in the afternoon. Is that early evening? Call it what you like. It's at 5. You better be there. I'll be there with an amazing guest. We'll do a live show. And then at the end, we'll do a Q&A with the audience and you can tell me the films that meant the most to you. It'll be cracking. Your two TV missions, as always, are to watch season one of Ted Lasso on the Apple TV Plus app and season one of Soulmates on Amazon Prime. One will make you very happy. The other will make you question your partner. So... Chris Addison. Chris Addison is a stand-up. He's a writer. He's an actor. He's a producer. He's a Hollywood director. He's had the most amazing career. He's made The Thick of It. He's made Veep. He's directed Anne Hathaway in Hollywood movies. He's done all the things you could dream of doing and he's done them all excellently. This recording was our first conversation ever and I've got to say he was a fucking delight. I think you're going to love this one. We recorded it over Zoom, and for once, both microphones were excellent. This is the best-sounding podcast I've done in ages, so you'll enjoy that. That is it for now. I hope you are all well, and I very much hope you enjoy episode 148 of Films To Be Buried With. Hello and welcome to Films to Be Buried with. It is me, Brett Goldstein, and I'm joined today by an actor, a writer, a stand up comedian, a producer, a creator, a director, a hero, a legend, and a human being. Please welcome to the show the incredible, the amazing. I can't believe he's here. Please welcome to the show. It's Chris Anderson. Yeah, oh, thanks, man. You know, I also once worked
2: in a sandwich shop. If you just want to uh, update your I list. know.
0: And I fucking kicking myself because I'd learned the list and I got to the end. I called your name and I was like, fuck sandwich shop.
2: Yeah, Break. sorry. Yeah,
0: there you go. I'm so anyway, sorry. Those are the golden days. Um, how are you, Chris Addison?
2: Do you know what? I'm all right, actually. It's been a really weird bit, this bit, because we're recording this now at the beginning of May. So it's the point where there's sort of light at the end of the tunnel. And I found that bit to be weirdly harder. I don't know how you have responded, but I I found it to be harder than the other lockdowns because I don't know why. I think it's that thing where you let yourself relax before you should relax. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, But I've sort of come out the other side of that now. And I'm now just sort of feeling like it'll be what it'll be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I'm all right. How are you? Uh, Yeah. I was like, yeah, no, this is cool. This is cool. We're going back to normal. This is cool. And then I got on the tube the other day and like, 50% 50% of people weren't wearing masks and I was so stressed <laughs> I was just sat there so stressed and I thought nah I'm not quite as relaxed as I thought I was
2: do you remember when um 2005 right when the 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 bombs went off in London and yeah. people were very kind of like I don't think I can go on the tube and everybody went on the tube and within two days we were absolutely fine with it but now now it's completely different because then you were going, then you were going, right, hang on, who who might be trying to blow me up? And how can I approach this in a non-racist way? And yeah. uh, and now you're just basically going, everyone's a fucker. <laughs> like They're all out <laughs> to kill me. It's much worse now for some reason. It's much more <laughs> stressful, so even true. though the, the danger is less dramatic.
0: Yeah, that's very true. That is. Um, you have been currently, I believe you're right you're in the writing you're writing season two of breeders
2: yeah three season three season oh, three. two of breeders Fuck. is yeah yeah it's going out in the states at the moment on f x and it's about to go out on sky later this month over here um yeah no yeah. It's season three so we we just uh yeah i've just done another writer's meeting for 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 that it's all sort of underway i as the person who generally like all I, well, I didn't do it last season. Normally, I've I've done them. Um, I say normally. How can you say something normal when you've done it once? It's but the, <laughs> the I, reg, I, yeah, I was yeah. on the reg. I was doing like the, the the second block of of filming. I was directing. So for people who don't know, quite often with long series of stuff, you would divide those into into blocks because it's too much for one person to uh, direct and get done in time to deliver it all for for the channels and so on. So I would do the the back end of the block which is where the all the time's been spent on. and the money's gone and the scripts aren't ready and uh so it's sort of comforting to feel as we go into uh, into our sort of third season rises room, if we, if we get picked up that uh yeah once again it looks like the back end will be not as ready as the, as the front end but i like the back end i like to pick up the back the because yeah. that's where the juicy stuff happens you
0: know but yeah it's nice to work with uh, with a group of people who are simultaneously exhausted and in a mad panic yeah <laughs> but that's absolutely the time to join
2: I, I sort of feel like that's that's what you train for as a stand-up you know like yeah. i mean that's sort of what edinburgh is isn't it if the edinburgh yeah. festival is an is an annual really sas style training in being so tired and with so much pressure on you uh do i sort of feel like yeah it's it's kind of uh, yeah. I've Ed- got the Edith muscle. Is memory the final
0: for it. block is the Online. final block.
2: Yeah, it is the final block.
0: So you and um, you and Martin Freeman created the show, correct? Uh,
2: me, Martin Freeman, and Simon Blackwell. Who? Oh, and who, Simon Blackwell. The yeah, the brilliant Simon. Simon Blackwell. Yeah,
0: and he runs it. He's the showrunner, is he? He is the showrunner. Yeah, he's
2: the okay. sort of he's the mastermind because he's just the most astonishing writer, Simon. He's so insanely talented, and he's got this very particular uh, voice. This is so, I love watching Back. I don't know if you've seen Back, you know, yes, the yes, web, which is Simon's show. And um, because it's just like, when I listen to uh, David Mitchell's character and Uncle Jeff played by Jeff McGiven, it's just like listening to Simon, basically. I just can hear everything that he's, yeah, that's Simon talking there. Um, he's, he's great. So he's a, he's our kind of, a, he's our showrunner.
0: Oh dear God, you've frozen. Oh no.
2: What do you want to do as a, when when we freeze? Do you want to kind of, Roll back so that you can edit it for
0: filming purposes, or do you want to just carry on think make something? This is the brain. This is the brain of someone who's done a lot of Edinburgh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> how are we going to? The brain of someone who does, has done a lot of Edinburgh is basically self protection. I think is what it gives you. Don't you think? Like, like yeah. you just learn over the years of doing Edinburgh how to do it in a less and less destructive way as you get older and your body gets capable of taking less shit. <laughs>
0: i think i found every edinburgh that me me going insane happened slightly yeah. later that's all now it that's interesting
2: when did it happen when did it tend to happen to you
0: first solo show before yeah. i did solo shows didn't happen i loved, loved it loved it loved it yeah. then I, as soon as i started solo shows i'd say three days in i was insane on the first oh, one wow. second one okay. a week in third one two weeks in Fourth one, three weeks in.
2: That's interesting. I used to, I used to sort of find that it was kind of it was the latter end, which I think is to do with just the the amount of time that you're there and the and the sort of yeah, just what your body and brain can cope with. I remember often giving the piece of advice to people who were going up to Edinburgh for the first time, saying you will go loopy. And you just have to accept that that's going to happen, so that when it happens, you know, oh yeah, 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 this was always going to happen, and and you can find someone to talk you out of your tree. But if you know it's going to happen, it's sort of better than if you yeah. if you think, oh my god, this is it. I'm not I'm not made for this. Everybody does it, don't they? So it's all. And over. It's
0: so mad, and no one cares. And I remember, what, no. I think one one time that I was, I remember being in the in the Brooks Bar when the London riots <laughs> were happening. Oh wow! And there was there was a tv on somewhere and it was showing like literally london is on fire and we, i remember looking at it and then someone going i got a really bad review in chortle today <laughs> <laughs> i don't think this matters maybe i don't know yeah,
2: yeah it's such an incredible bubble but there's that panic isn't there there's that sense that oh god if, if, I, if I don't go that's it all oh, momentum yeah, yeah. is lost i'll forget about who i am and i i always think of um there was a, a year that I didn't go, 2003 it was, I didn't go, and my, God, that was 18 years ago, my agent was going, you've got to go, Chris, you've got to go, it's really important you go, if you don't go, people are going to forget about you, all this effort you've put in over the last five years will be lost, and oh, oh, shit, I should go, and I, just, I didn't go, and I remember I went to... I was at Lord's Cricket Ground watching England play South Africa, right? watching Nasser Hussain's final test match as captain. And I, and I had a copy of The Observer. And it was a beautiful sunny day. And I was there with my wife, or my, my about to be wife at that point, And we were having a, a brilliant time. And I, I, I read the reviews, Metamorph. I read a review for my friend John Oliver. Uh, and it said, the, the review said, reminds me in some ways of Chris Addison's show. And I thought, see, I didn't need to go. Like, I didn't need
0: That's to go right,
2: yeah. It was so perfect.
0: That's oh, this so is, funny. I just
2: and and then the next year, when I, went, when I did go back in 2004, people go, Yeah, that show you did last year, meaning the one two years before, they don't care. You can take the time off, it's fine.
0: It's a scam. The whole thing's a scam. It's a scam. Oh, and the money the I mean, money, the money you can you... make in any way. <laughs> <My
2: God. laughs> oh, there are people I can remember, friends of mine, like. Having such bad years in Edinburgh that by the time the
0: next Edinburgh came around, they hadn't paid off the previous one. Yeah. Oh. You, have you, have you oh. stopped stand up? Do you do you still do stand up? With you, I certainly haven't decided that
2: I've stopped stand up. Right, I've yeah. just not done it for, for quite a while now because other things yeah. have sort of got in the way. For quite some time, I I used to think the next thing I do will be, oh right show or whatever. Um, And it's only in the last three years or so that I've come to accept that that's probably not going to be the next thing that I do at any given moment. But I do feel like it's something that I want to go back to do at some point. A couple of weeks ago, I did Andy Zaltzman's podcast, The Bugle, for the, the first time. And it's the first time for me, like... I don't know, eight years or something that I've written something that was for me to deliver. And yeah. I loved it. Like, I fucking <laughs> loved it. It was, I was properly in my element and it reminded me of on the sort of rare occasions that I ever get on stage to, to do anything, how mm-hmm. you just sort of suddenly go, Oh, this is where this this feels right. This is home. This is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah, I don't know when it will be, but I fully intend to,
0: to do it again. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Um, Oh, oh, Chris, you right? what's happened? Chris, I've forgotten to tell you something. What's happened? Oh, no, no, no. No, what an idiot. This what doesn't sound good. Dope. I, I should have probably said it in the initial email. Yeah. Or at least when we connected on the Zoom, I'll just say it. You, oh God, you've died. You're dead. Oh, Shit. Oh, um,
2: that's. Oh, I yeah. have no idea where any of the paperwork
0: is for a start. Maybe it's not no. my problem, is it? No, it's not your problem. You can. I feel bad for the for the cleanup that's going to have to happen. But how did you die?
2: Well, I mean, I suppose if I had my way as to mm-hmm. how I would die, I would die uh, uh, like most people who aren't Vikings. I would want to die, you know, comfortably, warm, surrounded by people I love, gently, and you know, with with a sense of contentment. However. I suspect that the truth is that I will die um, in a pickle-based explosion. That would be my. Yeah, um, no, it
0: seems inevitable. To be fair,
2: I eat an awful lot of pickled food, <laughs> a huge amount of pickles and chilies, and pickled chilies as often as not. And I do feel on many afternoons that the way I'm going to go is some sort of overindulgent vinegar-based overindulgence. That's what will kill me. So you, I will explode. You,
0: you'll explode from the inside out.
2: Yeah, I will from the inside out I will be killed by a combination of chilies. Some of which and pickles, some of which I have made myself.
0: You know, it's a lovely way to go. The more disturbing <laughs> part of the <laughs> setup to this was the mm-hmm. the death that you wished for, which was surrounded by people that you, loved gently, gently you love gently. That I gently Yeah. Not yeah. people that you love hard. So you don't want your favourites, you want the people <laughs>
2: Yeah, you don't want to upset of, yeah. your favourites, do you? You want no. people you sort of who are comforting to you, <laughs> right? But okay. you know, it would be upsetting to look into the face of your your nearest and dearest as you as you die, and you know that you are
0: leaving them with
2: a hole in their lives. Yeah, that's
0: so thoughtful.
2: Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm a good so guy.
0: Like Simon Blackwell would be there, I'm guessing.
2: Simon would be there. yeah. Simon, that'd be that'd be you nice. Simon gently. would be there. Yeah, yeah, he'd be there, I guess. A couple of a couple of 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 pets that I've had over okay. the years would probably yeah. be there. Just and the gentle lovers, any gen- lovers you had. Just you, some, just, <laughs> you wouldn't want any ex partners there, I don't think, would you? That would be a hell of a way to go, just surrounded by your ex partners. Well, I'm assuming your wife's not going to be there. Well, no shit, I love her too much. She's, she's she's love just, her too she she lover too. Doesn't make the cut, does she? So yeah. I wouldn't actually have the people who are most important to me in my in my life. No. around me at the time
0: they would be i don't know where they'd be they're probably at, out you just in the next room just going why can't we come in no he's been very specific he loves you too hard <laughs> yeah it's he it's too say. much for you they, you're in the overflow watching on a tv what, what he has asked is if you could start working on the paperwork while he's. <laughs> that would be great I'll, in <laughs> fact they're gonna be they'll be there'll be a big
2: screen in trafalgar square and they can, that's the overflow yeah. so they'll go there with that's many of the other point. people from the nation that seems fair I um do you worry about death? Massively, all the time, increasingly, and I—I I say increasingly, and that started from a baseline of quite a lot. Um, yeah, I think about death all the time, and it's not healthy. It's—it's it's like you know thinking about aging all the time. It's—it's mm. it's really, really unhealthy to think to think about it. I'm having dinner with my best mate. Well, before the pandemic, obviously, and he was going. This is we're just getting too old, Chris. We're getting too old. And I was thinking, but the, like this is as young as we'll ever be again, right? Right now yeah. is as young as we'll ever be again. So you you have to approach it from that point of view. But it is really hard to tell yourself that stuff. You can sort of intellectualize it, but on a visceral level, the fear of of dying and of, and of getting old and that's hard, isn't it? That's hard. Yeah. I'm properly kind of at the point in my life where. I'm ripe for a midlife crisis mm. <laughs> about now.
0: So, have you got any particular plans for it? I think I might
2: be already. Like I, I'm such a boringly wholesome person. <laughs> uh, my friend Rebecca described me as she's the most wholesome person I've met. And I was thinking, I said, you know, you know, within me, I've got the same dark thoughts as every as everybody else. I'm yeah. just possibly not brave enough to act on them. So I would probably, I'll just. I'll t- I'll take something up, I'll start learning something. I'm probably already doing. It. I'm trying to learn German. I expect it, right. you know, that's like a a function of the midlife crisis, isn't it? Like in a really mild way.
0: That's so funny. I mean that is so I don't even know you and I know that you learning German is the exact right answer to what would Chris Addison's midlife crisis look like. There you go. <laughs> Well, listen, it's good to stay consistent with your brand and I okay respect I it. totally I,
2: I didn't lie about any of the things about myself. I didn't make up this kind of milk toast persona and think this is what people enjoy. I'm just gonna put all of my bravery and raw sexuality in a box over there and be this kind of willowy foot for business purposes. That didn't yeah. happen,
0: Brett. All from me. That's wonderful. Tell me this: What do you think happens when you die? Do you think there is an afterlife of some kind?
2: I do not think there is an afterlife of some kind. I am very sorry to have to report, but I, I, I did for a very long time imagine that there was such a thing, uh, and it came quite late to the notion that um, do you know what there really isn't anything else other than um, other than what we've got.
0: Was there a thing that happened that ma- made that decision for you?
2: It was a very long journey, so I, I brought myself up religious, sort of. That sounds like an odd thing to say but i I chose to go to church and 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 do things like that, and that was largely attached to friends of mine who were go who were going there from school right. who, who were going, and also music I was always um uh, 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 like I' sang a lot when I was a kid, and that was a place you could do it and I just sort of it, it like you're you know there's a there's a series of fantastic detective novels uh, set in like 15th century spain the captain Alatriste novels and in it the, the narrator says this that the only thing i ever remember about them is this line a man's true home is his childhood right and I, I think of it all the time because i sort of didn't lose religion for a long time because it was comforting to me as an item of nostalgia as much as anything else you know the things that i did that were important to me uh, as a kid some of them not, not by any means, all of them, but some. Some of them had had religion at the at the heart of them, and mm-hmm. so I sort of, as I got older, and it became more and more obvious to me, slowly, that there was nothing in it. I kind of, I just held on to it as as long as I possibly could. I was sort of intellectually an atheist long before I admitted to myself right. that that's what I was. And then I was in my mid thirties. I was, uh, I was right at the end of that process. And I remember listening to this fantastic. Um, American comedian called Julia Sweeney, who did these terrific one-woman shows, including one called Letting Go of God. And uh, I listened to Letting Go of God. And at the end, of, and she describes her journey from died in the world Catholic to complete atheist and it's a really interesting journey where she's trying to reconcile her spirituality and find some sort of meaning and all of those kinds of things and at the end of it she she sort of she tried everything and she goes okay well let's just imagine imagine for a second just that there's there's a some spectacles you can put on and and that way you see the world and through that there's no god right that's the version of the world that you're looking at so so it's just a thought experiment She said, and I, and I put the um, spectacles on, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, there is no God. And I can remember when, where I was when I was listening to that. I was walking down St. Martin's Lane next to that old, um, it's not there anymore, but that film memorabilia shop uh, that yeah. used to be on St. Martin's Lane, you know? And uh, I was exactly there when I heard her say those words, and I did the exact same thing in that moment. And that was the moment where I went, that's, that's, no. And it was really strange mm. for the following that was it was peculiar it felt very
0: raw was it like you were grieving
2: well one of the things she says is really interesting she says when you decide there's no god and there's no heaven and there's no hell it Mm. means that all those people that you said goodbye to you have to say goodbye to again because all the people that you said Mm. that they've gone on to a better place i'll see them again you accept at that point i know that's not going to happen like they're gone and I'm a very fortunate person in that I haven't thus far in my life been, you know, st- struck with a, a great deal of personal tragedy or anything, but, you know, she, she certainly had, and, you know, her brother had died and so on. She felt like she had to let go of him again and i sort of so there is a grieving aspect to it but it's also like mm. what do you do like, if this is if you always at some on some level thought there's, there's something beyond this it's fine this is just a mm. bridge to the to the better world or whatever what do you do when you decide oh no this is this is it every mm. decision that you make has to be sort of made on on a slightly different basis this is very
0: heavy isn't it i didn't mean it to this get so is, heavy no this is no this is exactly the good this is the good shit okay um what what is your answer to that
2: I, I think and there's nothing terribly profound that I can say about it, not least because i'm not a thoughtful enough person to be that profound, but I think it's it's just you've just got you've just got to be as good a person as you possibly can and' you've, and you've got to you've got to accept that you get one one go at this and you're not doing it for somebody else or for some other purpose you're doing it for you, and that could be well the way you want to live your life is for the sake of others or, or or whatever. But there isn't a set of rules that's going to get you into a better place and you should, you know, there's nothing that you should be dealing with right now on that
0: basis that should be informing your your decisions about what you do and how you behave to other people. Chris Addison, I find that fascinating. I find that very moving. I find that really interesting. But I got news for you, kid. What's that? <laughs> you are wrong. Oh, are I'm wrong. You wrong. Oh. You are idiot got, be no, honest with heaven. you heaven yeah go on. that's a massive relief yeah <laughs> like it's I a thought h- so. huge relief because that whole bit was real downer and the this-
2: gift is a- <laughs> yeah. every it was such a downer because like if you just turn this on because you just want to hear some chit chat <laughs> about some movies you might like and some fucker is telling you there's nothing else <laughs> that is not he's lying he's lying
0: he's lying guys don't worry <laughs> i got this oh um, it's such a relief there's a heaven, man, and Jeez. it's great. And uh, and oh. they got the, you know where that film memorabilia shop you used to like, I yeah, it's yeah, is there?
2: Oh, it's went in heaven.
0: To... Oh, uh, they got screening rooms. They got. All your favourite things. What's your other favourite things? Uh, Pickles. It's got got a lot of pickles. Pickles, everyone, they ain't going to kill you. Non-deadly pickles. And everyone is delighted to see you. They're very forgiving as well that you'd you'd thought they they weren't there. They they think it's fun. They're like, that's delightful. Come on. And you're like, ah, and it's beautiful. And they want to know about your life, but they want to know about your life through film. Okay. And the first (laughs) thing they want to ask you is, what is the first film you remember seeing, Chris Addison?
2: The first film I remember seeing, Brett Goldstein, is... Well, the first film I remember seeing seeing on the TV, mm-hmm. I can't tell you what that was. I can tell you what the experience of it was. I remember be- visiting somebody's house, and I was with them in the, uh, the same room as their gran. Their gran had a little room, and she was watching something on the telly. It was a Western, I think. And I can remember as a tiny child... It was on ITV, this thing. And so just constantly having commercial breaks. And I can remember thinking as a kid, when is this going to end? It's so long. Why is this TV show so long and boring? Oh, my God. Why would anybody make anything this long! As, you know, as a kid who's used to like five-minute episodes of the Wombles or whatever at this point, it just, it just seemed impossibly indulgent that people would do. <laughs> this yeah. is pretentious. What the fuck is this? <laughs> just shoot him! Yeah, so uh, that's a, that was the first experience of watching a film I can remember. The first film I remember seeing in the cinema, I saw back in the days when um, Disney used to re-release their films on a fairly regular basis, so this probably would have been in the must have been in the seventies. So, but um, Cinderella, I saw Disney Cinderella. Oh, in Stevenage. Nice. With my gran um, with my Stevenage Omar. is that and where Stevenage. you grew up? I did not. I grew up in Manchester, no. but my uh, but my gran Omar, as I called her, she lived in um, she lived in Stevenage in, the, oh. in, a,
0: in a little block of flats there. So
2: yeah, so we went to see me and my brother and sister, and her went to see Cinderella.
0: Where are you in your brother and sister?
2: I am the oldest. And then my sister, then my brother. But we're all within. I'm two and a half years older than my brother, so that like, Uh, yeah, my mum was busy, man. It's only when I became a parent that I went, Jesus God, I mean, Mm. that must have been brutal. Three under three, that's insane. It's a lot. It's a lot. I'm surprised I wasn't in the cinema all the time. (laughs) Just go in there.
0: Just go in for an hour and a half. Take the other two. Take the. Did you love it? Did you love the cinema? Did you love Cinderella? Do you remember that? Yeah, I can remember. I mean, I really loved the
2: cinema when I was a, when I was a kid. It's just, it was such an event. It yeah. was so extraordinary just to, just to go, even to watch adverts on the big screen was amazing. I remember really loving the Westler's Hot Dog adverts because it just seemed like it seemed so exotic because it was big. It was big. Yeah. It was all bigger than there and in front of you. Um, and the, the, I used to go to, uh, it used to be a, a little cinema called Unit 4 in Walkden, uh, mm-hmm. near, uh, near where I grew up. And, um, it had, you know, what I've realised now were like, like shoebox sized cinemas, you know, those tiny, tiny wee things where I went and saw like Convoy and Hooper and all of those Hooper, sorts yeah. of movies. Yeah, yeah. I saw Hooper and Convoy in a double bill. My friend Chris's birthday. Love Hooper.
0: I used to love that. It was great. I always wanted to be a stuntman. Did you? Yeah. Until... Still still my dream job. No, until nothing. I still want to be. It's just... It's a real closed door. (laughs) (laughs) Those guys have it all sewn up. (laughs) It's who you know. Nice shop, yeah. Uh, What's... um... What's the film that scared you the most? Do you like being scared?
2: You know what? I absolutely hate being scared. Hate it. I cannot bear horror. I don't understand the point of it. I don't want it to exist. I wish it would go away. I just don't think it's a good idea. I remember going to see Get Out, which is a brilliant movie. It's a brilliant absolutely movie brilliant. with my friend Tess Morris, <clears throat> and uh, we went. We were. It was. Very, it was lovely. We went to. Um, my favourite screen in the world, which sounds, this sounds very pretentious, uh, but fuck it. Uh, there's, a, there's a cinema in Los Angeles called the Cinerama Dome, uh, which yeah. they announced two weeks ago is closing down because it's not yeah. going to reopen after the pandemic, to my great regret. But anyway, we went and saw Get Out There. And, uh, but I just, just uh, as we walked in, I was thinking, what am I doing? Why am I here? It's fucking stupid. I'm going to soil myself in public and it's going to be awful. Um, Just clinging on to Tess is going, what the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, I'm I'm terrible, terrible, terrible. So I avoid scary movies Mm. by and large. I think the film that made me most tense, which is probably as close as I get to scared in things generally, is probably it's Gravity. That's the most tense yeah. I've ever been watching a movie, because I, I've, I mean I know everybody says uncut gems. I've still not seen uncut gems. I know it's supposed to be just, yeah. just you know, if you held if you held places, coal yeah. in your hands whilst watching <laughs> it, you'd end up with diamonds at the end <laughs> yeah. of it. Like it is that. But yeah. uh, but gravity. I can. Uh, 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 my wife and I went to see it. We were like it was really indulgent. We did it at like ten o'clock in the morning. There's nobody else in the cinema. Nice. It's a big cinema, 3D screening and stuff. And that's a great film to watch in 3D yeah. because of everything just coming at you. Oh, my God. I, until she puts her foot on the, on the floor at the end, I, you just, I was terrified all the way through it. It's great. I, it's I don't hilarious. mind that. But, but horror, scary, stuff that can revisit you in your dreams, fuck that shit.
0: Well, you live in a godless world. It is scary. Right? You've got, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't need any more, yeah. <laughs> any more Amen, terror. Brother. Amen, what? brother. I, get, uh, I, mean, and I, can't,
2: I, I really try with those sorts of things to go, okay, well, let's, um, let's watch this from a filmmaking perspective. So yeah. how have they done this? What shots are they using? How many set up? Uh, and I absolutely, I can keep that up for 17 seconds. And then after that, are you, oh, oh, why are they doing that? Ah! Yeah. Right. No, no for not the
0: for the me. What about um, crying? What's the film that made you cry the most? And do you cry?
2: Well, it, the, it's just a real shooting fish in a barrel job. Though, to be honest with you because I cry all, all the time I mean, I cried all the time before I had kids and once you've got kids it's just it's like non mm. it's non-stop <clears throat> so you have to put oh yeah just put the right music under something and you've got me um, so I had to think quite carefully about what this was I want to give like an, an honourable mention to um, It's a Wonderful Life uh, which is such a sort of weepy movie it's a we- yeah. happy weepy I, I think I remember going to see it with a friend of mine at um, the Curzon in Soho, which is one of my favourite cinemas in in the world, it's such a lovely place. And they they sort of reissued a print about I don't know, fifteen years ago, something like that. And we went and we went and watched it one one December, and I remember getting to the the loo straight outside the the screen yeah. afterwards, and it was full of men going. <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> And just really holding everything back. It's the, I can't, what? And that you knew that they just belted out away from, I'll I'll, I'll be be right with you, dear. (laughs) Just not joining themselves (laughs) with their girlfriends and their wife and their daughters before coming back and their friend. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a wonderful life, always gets me. But I think the one Mm -hmm. life that I really fell apart was um, about in 2000. three i think i I went to australia to do the melbourne international comedy festival god's own comedy festival good lord what a place and um we did the i did the road show which which happens after the festival you tour around uh, a gang show around around australia and i was with adam hills and cal wilson and i remember cal being a, a good kiwi insisting that we go and watch well rider and oh man Ah, oh, I, I nearly died. I mean, yeah, I was kind of like, it's like a cornflake at the end, dehydrated. There was no liquid left. And um, uh, yeah, I don't know if it would do that again. I mean, we, you know, it was late. We were drunk. It was very emotional. But did you still. all
0: cry together? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. you know, Adam Hill's very sensitive, lovely dude. Yeah, Cal, you know, it was right in her wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. We were, um, we were a wreck pathetic wreck well i quite like that though given <laughs> <clears> nice given this there's some, there are it. some aspects of you know there are some comedians who are a bit kind of <laughs> yeah. who would not be who would not be there for that at all yeah. but we're definitely the uh, the softer That's end <laughs> very nice. um
0: what is the film that people don't generally like it's not critically acclaimed but you love it unconditionally
2: i had to think quite hard about this
0: i really like still like so i
2: married an axe murderer
0: I love that film.
2: Yeah, it's a great film. <laughs> there are things that come back to me. For, I, I think often of woman, woman, woman. I think of that all the time. Uh, yeah. And I think of Eid, move your big uh all the time. Those two things uh, yeah. just stay with me. And I know it's sort of flawed. I think this was in my head because this, this weekend I showed my kids uh, Austin Powers for the for the, Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. You do, it just makes you go, God, this is... Couldn't make this now. <clears throat> Couldn't make this now. But um, Did they like it? Yeah, they did they did like it. I sort of felt like I wonder if they got enough of the sort of cultural spoofing that was that was yeah. going on. But um but you know there were there were lots of things that they did really like about it. My kids sort of they, they sort of sit there and, and they talk back at the jokes often. Why would you do that? They go, like they're laughing. <laughs> but they go, Why has he done that now then? <laughs> but because that's how this stuff works. It's really sweet. How old are your kids? Well, they're older than than that makes them make some sound. They are both. They're both film directors in their forties. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they but they really like they sort of. I don't know whether it's me picking jokes apart that has made them do it. I don't know whether like I mm. have infected them somehow with my kind of um, you know yeah. the, you know the, the the boring way that you can be about comedy when you're in comedy. Uh, I hope it's not. I hope I've ruined it for them. But anyway, I wonder whether that's why So I Married an Axe Meadows in my head. I also thought maybe Con Air. Um, I which, fucking love Con Air as well. Well, it's a great film. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. it's ridiculous. It's an entirely ridiculous film. Uh, and and it's, got all of the, <laughs> it's got all of the things that make a film like The Rock great and just doesn't do them as well. You know, what I mean it just doesn't yeah, quite yeah, do them fair. as well. And it and there are things that you sort of feel like like that thing what is it a giant rabbit that he wants to wants yeah, to put the take bunny in down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All of that. And you know, like it just feels like something out of a film writing manual that. Give him the thing. Yeah. He's got he's gotta be he's gotta focus on some little thing. You've gotta give him a thing to focus on. And it's this yeah. ridiculous and it sort of feels like it sort of feels like they watched a lot of Die Hard and then they watched, you know, the rock. But it is it's it's got Malkovich at his absolute campest, which is always yeah. great fun. I can watch John Cusack do pretty much anything.
0: You've got you've got Cusack vibes. Do you know it's I interesting?
2: Know. There is that's not the first time that's been said. Mm. And in fact, there was a there's a scene in The Sure Thing. I can't believe I haven't got the sure thing on this list somewhere, which is a, an amazing John it was Cusack's first movie produced yep. by Roger Birnbaum, who i worked with and is an extraordinary man yeah. and anyway but uh, but there's a scene where they are they're trying to get into a caravan and the rain is just throwing and he turns around to sh- to snarl something at allison and he looks and there was I, I remember watching it about 20 years ago and going fucking hell because he looked exactly like me it was it was like yeah. I, I, I was genuinely shocked uh, yeah. In that moment, he a, a young Cusack very much looked like a, a, a young me. We've gone our separate ways since then. I've had quite a lot of work. Um, but um, <laughs> but uh, otherwise,
0: I'm sure we'd have been the same. I'm going to give you, sorry, and next word, because I love that. Really, really love that film. Yeah. It's got a very funny one-off scene with uh, Michael Richards in it. It's oh, a yeah. really good, really funny game that is played. Good, go good stuff. Yeah. Uh, what is the film, on the other hand, that you used to love, but you've watched recently and you've gone, I don't like this anymore, for whatever reason that may be?
2: Honestly, I can give you a sort of a, a mini category, really, and then I'll give you the, the, the biggest example. But I think it's basically late period Roger Moore, James Bond. Like, I loved it so the first bond i ever saw was the spy no no it wasn't spy love me it was fioras only which i saw at the unit for in Walk right. on another friend's birthday and shoebox. in another uh, shoebox shoe yeah and I, I absolutely loved it loved 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 it and it sort of started a proper kind of lifelong love of james bond which is not an unusual thing many people love james bond it's a big cultural phenomenon etc cetera, etc cetera. and so you know, Roger Moore was my first James Bond, and I would watch on bank holidays. After that, I can remember sort of mainly watching his stuff that was on. It was, it was the Spy Who Loved Me, and it was Moonraker, and all of those kinds of things. But the truth is that you can sort of go, oh, they're they're good though. They're tremendous sort of high camp. You have to think of them as different to to Sean Connery and different to Daniel Craig, and yeah, that's true to a point. And then there's, e.g., Octopussy, which is just. Dog shit. I mean, it, it. You know, like it's badly made. As, as much as it, it's massively offensive on so many levels. It is incredibly badly made. I can remember years ago, my my friend Will. You know Will Smith. You know, not yeah, Will, Will the Will, Will, Will Smith, but you know, you know, yeah.
0: To Will, Will Smith,
2: lovely Will Smith, uh, brilliant um, comedy writer, former stand-up. Years ago, did a document. <laughs> just wrote a, a a document trying to <laughs> unpick octopussy. And it's one of the funniest things that I've ever had. Every few years I go, Well, have you still got like can you resend me that thing? Um, because it because I defy anybody to sit and make sense of the plot. It has absolutely no through line whatsoever. And it's also just just from a filmmaking perspective, unbelievably but you just said, where was the director during this? It is so shit. Uh, as well as being wildly racist and uh, just the it's the it's the kind of peak of that's when james bond went a bit russ myers-ish uh in, right, its, in right. terms of its sexism that's like octopussy the absolute zenith of that so i think that's the one that i would use but that's a very much a part that tells a whole really i still love lots of james bond but that is terrible
0: i think that's a very good answer um What is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film itself is any good, but the experience you had around seeing the film will always make it important to you. Yeah,
2: well, I'm going to choose between two here. One, One would be Yellow Submarine, because when I was a kid... It blew my tiny mind. Like I could not believe. Like it was so exciting. It was the Beatles, and it's so colourful and it's really appealing. Uh, and I loved the little fluffy Nowhere Man, Jeremy, and and it, I even loved the Blue Meanies. Like it was so. And I found them sort of terrifying as a as a little mm. kid. Um, and I can remember getting the video for it a few years later when I would have been in my mid teens, I suppose, and. Watching it every day, one Easter holidays, watching like every single day, I I loved it. Many years later, I I introduced it to my own children who sort of loved it equally. I like it for being a film that I loved so much as a child that my own, I was able to introduce to my own children and for them to love. Like, I love it that it's a a through line. The other one that I would choose for a similar reason, and um, I think you might appreciate even more, something tells me, is uh, A Muppet Christmas Carol, which... I think, I mean, it is an astonishing movie. A Muppet Christmas Carol, like on every level, it's it's incredibly well done. A friend of mine who is a big Dickens fan says it's the most faithful adaptation it of is. A Christmas Carol, um, and yet it's completely a Muppet movie at the same. I mean, it's the best Muppet movie, and that's quite a it's yeah. quite a high bar. There's a, bar. there's a lot of great the original Muppet movie and uh, James Bobin's um, amazing, the Muppets uh, and so on. There's a lot there that's great. But a Muppet Christmas Carol is like, it's now our family tradition. I remember going to see it when it came out in the cinema. I I was at college at the time, university and remember seeing that with, with friends then where you didn't see the Muppets much in those days. Like mm. they weren't around everywhere and there wasn't YouTube to see everything on and they weren't on the TV anymore. And they were a big part of my childhood. And then suddenly this phenomenal movie came out and then now it's a massive part of my own family life. So each year, like that's the official start of Christmas for us is we put the Muppet movie on. And then uh, a few years ago, my kids had their, their school, their, their school choir for their, their Christmas, Show they did songs from uh, from that movie. They did a Christmas Carol. And they did songs from that movie and various other ones and so on. So it's kind of woven into the fabric of my family life. So I think of the two, I would probably end up choosing Muppet uh, Christmas Carol.
0: I'm only holding myself back because people who've listened to this podcast have heard me talk about Muppet Christmas Carol so much. Oh, really? It I'm is. So sorry. It is true. No, no, no. I, I love what you said. I mean, I'll say it again. I genuinely stand by. It top three greatest films of all time it is one of them in every it's aside from everything that is wonderful and perfect about it it's a fucking amazing piece of filmmaking. It's, it's an so well made. Piece
2: from that very, from the opening shot, that yeah. extraordinary opening shot over over London, they pull that off so well that you don't, you know, you, you sort of you do see as you come as you come down that it's a change. But but to have a model, yeah. which is what it was then, a model that big for it to go for so long over those roofs and then yeah. and then come down is magnificent. The trick of having, I know, I, I love. The, the, what the Muppets, I'm sure you've talked about this, but I love that one of, the, one of the things that Jim Henson, of course, Jim Henson wasn't involved in, in, in that mm. film by that point, but one of the things that, 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 that the Henson organisation loved to do is innovate and find a new, exciting way so that in the original Muppet movie, I think it was the original one, wasn't it, where, they, where they're on the bikes? I yeah 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 first one. that's one right. and that's kind of how have they done that even the opening of the first Muppet movie where he's in the swamp singing Rainbow Connection yeah. it's like how have you done that with puppets the, and with them um, with Muppet Christmas Carol there's that wonderful very simple but brilliantly effective ro- rolling road barrel where yeah. um, where no, Kermit really. and Kermit and Tiny Tim yeah. are coming home singing uh and and it's yeah it's it's a superb piece of filmmaking now, let me ask you this. What are your views on the revisionism towards uh, Muppet Christmas Carol whereby a, an entire song has been cut out of it?
0: Oh yeah, I, I I think the song should be there. You do. And and I think it's and I believe it is going to be put back in on is that Disney right? Plus. I believe that they've there was a whole issue with them having lost the original but now they've found it and it's going to go back in. And and I read a whole piece about how none of them wanted to cut it it was an executive who was like it's too depressing it's too depressing and they fought and fought and fought and basically i think the exec eventually said look i've let you do everything you want to do just cut that song and so they cut it but it shouldn't have been cut i mean the the crazy part is it was was on the vhs it was on the vhs but not the the british cut i remember
2: seeing it it's like it's not a song i enjoy massively i do think it's important that it's there because it makes total sense of the end of the movie when they start singing the love the love we you found found. that that you like you need that that's a that's a reprise you can't have a reprise when you didn't have a prize so you know so (laughs) you have to put it in but it sort of reminds me of um there's a similar song in chitty chitty bang bang truly scrumptious sings lovely lonely man and it is Ghastly. Like, it's just, you don't like, oh, God damn it. You, you, you just think, ah, oh, it's good that we live in a world where we can fast forward. And <clears throat> to an extent, Bell's song in um, in Muppet Christmas Carol always sort of made me feel like that, so I could see why mm-hmm. they cut it out. But you absolutely have to put it in. And it affects the rhythm as well. It affects the yeah. rhythm of that. that so that, so that it, last man. section is very truncated as a result. One of the things that I love about it is how terrifying they're prepared to make it. So the ghost of Christmas uh, yeah. yet to come is... Genuinely terrifying to children,
0: and the ghost of Christmas Past is is very spooky oh, and sort of it's such yeah. a great idea.
2: Always reminds me of um, the angels as they first come out of the ark at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. I think it's filmed with a similar. I'm pretty sure they filmed those things underwater. The way that yeah, they're so. the way that the the, the material is flowing, yeah. that's what it sort of feels like. And so they so the, the ghost of Christmas past always makes me think of that in Muppet Christmas Carol. But it is, I know I think top three f- greatest films of all time. I totally, I'm totally in your corner with that.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. I'll tell you one other thing on this subject that you may not know. I'm sorry if I've said this before, but I definitely haven't to you. There is a deleted scene. I think about this a lot. In Austin Powers Three Gold Member, right. there is a deleted scene which is the song "What's It All About, Alfie," but it's "What's It All About, Austin," and it's a montage of everyone <laughs> singing "What's It All About, Austin." And I swear down, it is genuinely moving. It's such an amazing secret. Really? It's beautiful and it's funny and it's like one of the. I, just, I basically think it's the best thing that was ever made of Austin Powers, and it's not in the film. And the reason it's not in the film is because when they did test screenings of it people were so moved by this song bit that they never laughed again <laughs> Wow! So they, so they just cut it and it's so interesting that they were just like it the film the film never recovers from that song
2: that's it's extraordinary like a, yeah. I mean you do you know you find out big things when you're when you're test screening mm. I find it absolutely staggering having having made a film I find it amazing that like where you and I come from right our Stand up shows are tested and tested and tested yeah, to bring an inch of their lives you know <clears throat> it's the cheapest possible art form the thing that we that we do and we put everything into making sure that that is as bulletproof i mean nothing's bulletproof in the world of comedy but as bulletproof as it can be, you just make mm-hmm. it right now you make a film for tens of millions of dollars and you i mean you do test it but like you don't have an awful lot of wiggle room, not really. Like you Mm. you might have to, in fact, well, unless you are prepared to spend millions and reshoot, which is what we ended up doing, uh, and I know lots of films end up doing, but like that seems crazy to me that you don't go into filming thinking, okay, all right, so $30 million is our budget. Why don't we say we're going to make this movie as a $20 million movie and then we'll leave $10 million to allow us to test and reshoot and rejig that to me seems sensible because there's no other creative process where you have less kind of uh, ability to change the body of the
0: work Mm. that you're that you're doing does that make sense completely and i've never heard it put like that and that's so interesting and how did you were test screenings for you when it's your film difficult and (laughs) ego destroying and horrible it's like a
2: wire brush to the soul right i mean it really they're really hard you know what it's like, right? You've done okay. I'm going to go and do a preview, right? Okay, yeah. I'm going to do a preview, and that was fucking humiliating. <laughs> you know, it was an hour, <laughs> whereas oh well, probably less because there's no laughing. So it was 45 <laughs> minutes where I was on stage, and they just weren't going with anything. And I think I just this. I'm not going to sleep tonight. That was ashes. You know, this like mm. we're used to it. It's it's a thing, but nonetheless like it's a private thing to some degree where it where Mm. we then take it away and do what we want to to do to it but once you get to a stage with a film that you're testing things there are an awful lot of kind of voices Mm. in the room at that at that point and it's not yours anymore and you're to blame (laughs) when things are when 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 things don't go well so it's it is hard and you know if you think about where the testing process comes so you've had your 10 weeks or whatever it is. You and the director and the editor have had their time to do their cut. And that's the first thing that's tested. So you're really invested in it by that point. You've gone, you've done an awful lot of fine tuning to this thing. Mm. Uh, and then you put it in front, in front of people. And it is, it's an amazingly brutal process because, well, for all sorts of reasons, one of the things, there are two things they do that make you go, oh, Jesus. One is um, they film the audience, right? With a like heat camera. They yeah. film the audience and then they give you uh, file afterwards that is you You get the the audience you get what they filmed of the audience and in the corner is your movie so you can see exactly how they're responding to what yeah. what moments. so you are watching people going <laughs> and then you watch them going right and it, i mean it's it's horrific i mean it's incredibly useful like it's exactly what you need but it is jesus god and then the next thing they do is they they've given everybody in the test screening, three or 400 people, whatever it is, they've given them a bunch of cards with questionnaires on them and, and they, they give you those the next day. <laughs> mm. They give you a, like a breakdown of how it went and then they give you the, the cards and they break the cards down into sort of, into demographics. So they are like four demographics, women of, younger women, older women, younger men, older men or whatever. And then they, you start to read them. And so me, me, and my and Anthony, my editor, were sitting in the like in a lobby in a cheap hotel in in LA the day after we'd done sc- the first test screening. And they sent these things to, and okay, I'll, I'll open it and I'll read them. And the first ones are going, "This is fucking brilliant. This is the most fun movie I've ever seen. I love this movie. This is an amazing movie." And you go, "Oh my god, we're golden. We are golden. This is great, right?" But what they haven't told you is that they give you them in order of enthusiasm. Oh, so dear. as you go through the cards, they get less and less <laughs> enthusiastic until by the end of it, you're really kind of going, This is a piece of shit. Who allowed this? So this is the worst movie I ever and you know, oh, and you're God. just you're just weeping. It's yeah. absolutely extraordinary. It's an extraordinary process.
0: Do you have any, how do you survive it emotionally? And like, how? I do, what's your, do you have I, any I advice? Mean, or?
2: I, I think you just have to, you just got to fucking toughen up, man. I mean, like there's nothing, there's nothing that you can make that everyone will love. Mm-hmm. Like there are, it doesn't matter how popular or successful something, there are people who don't like Taylor Swift. There are people who didn't buy Adele's album, or some people who bought mm-hmm. Adele's album and went, oh, "Sorry, I suppose that like there's no way yeah. that you can you can get out of that." I have um, a cartoon that I saw, often send to people. It's on my desktop actually, and it's of you will appreciate it. It's it's two panels, right? The first panel is uh, the the view from the stage when the comedian's on and it's the mic in the stand and beyond that, like there's just everybody laughing and there's yeah. crying laughter and they're just, they're hugging themselves yeah. and they're having the best time. And then the second panel is what the comedian sees and it's the mic and everything else is blacked out, except there's one dude who's got yeah, like fucking yeah. furious. Right now you, you know this. So yes, this yeah, is, is, and the amazing thing about this cartoon is it's in exactly the same place that that fucker is always sitting, which is always just, as you're looking from the stage on the left.
0: Yeah. Down on oh. the left, always, yeah. right? Always. Is that? That's where they sit. Yes. That's amazing. Always Isn't it extraordinary? Always on the left, always, yeah. the left. always yeah. about three Near rows back. Yeah. yeah.
2: What the fuck? Every time. <laughs> what is seat. that? Yeah, that's the seat. That's the fucker seat. Like, like they got the <sighs> cunt seat on question time. There's, there's clearly one, one. Are you really not going to? You look like you're not going to enjoy this. I'm going to sell you C6. <laughs> C6. C6.
0: Cunt anyway, six feet.
2: Yeah. There's a good lesson in that cartoon, which is that Mm -hmm. you're always going to fixate on the the negative responses. So you just have to not do that. And I think, you know, it depends on what you're trying to do, I suppose. If what you're making is great art, then you probably don't want to test it anyway. You just want to put your vision out into the world and see how that goes. But if you're making something that is intended to be a commercial success, then you have to uh, mm. understand that, well, that's the game that you're involved in and, and and you need to try and do everything that you can to make it that. So it's useful to have people tell you, that yeah. shit, mate, so long, as, <laughs> so long as it's clear enough, what they're saying is clear enough and, and, and mm. absolute enough, you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing worse than, I don't know what this note means. I don't know what that yes. reaction tells me. Tell
0: me this, are there things in in the film that, like, that that tested badly but you 100% believed in and sort of fought for and like no they're wrong this audience is wrong I'm sorry this bit needs to stay
2: no no not really like in fact <laughs> there's one that's the opposite because there was something that I absolutely fought to do that is not in the film <laughs> like I fought so hard for it to happen and we because we reshot the beginning of of the movie the, the film is um uh, people for people listening there's a, a film called The Hustle um that I directed and and So, the opening of that movie, uh, we had to re not quite the opening because the but the sort of the first thing that happens post titles, the first time we meet Anne Hathaway's character, uh, Mm -hmm. we had to reshoot it because we'd done this thing that I absolutely loved. But in it, she scams this kind of sweet but super rich nerd played brilliantly by Tim Blake Nelson, who's so good and I just loved him. I thought he was wonderful. But when we showed it to people, they've sympathized with him and she Mm. came across as a horror and her character just never recovered as a, as a result of that. So we had to kind of re, okay, we'll redo it where there's somebody who, who deserves to be, to be ripped off, which, you know, so that's, but, but, but the whole section, because he's a nerd, it had involved her as this kind of super spy character, where she she gone out onto the the veranda of this casino and she's doing all these kind of like she's like a glam Jason Bourne is the is the part right. she's played. Like, she can't remember anything. She's just washed up. She's got this scar <laughs> and she does all these incredible kind of acrobatic tumbles as a bit of gunplay with the with the um the police inspector who's who's secretly on her side and all of this and it took us three days to do it it cost (laughs) god knows like a million dollars or whatever it was uh, i I missed some very good friends wedding because it overran this and it never made it into the (laughs) into the movie because it was part of this sequence that actually on reflect you know when you on reflection it made total sense of course that 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 was the wrong
0: opening The things that I can't enjoy now that I understand how things are made are things like battle scenes in Braveheart, for example, where I just go, how the fuck did you reset? How the fuck did you reset 100 horses and spears and run? What what do you mean there was a take two of that? Like, how does that happen? I don't, cannot get my head around it.
2: What's the film, is it A Bridge Too Far? Was that the did Rich is that the Richard Attenborough one? There's one of one of those big war movies of that of that era that right. Richard Attenborough directed. I think it is a bridge too far. And it's like there is the one scene where where it's the they're trying to take the bridge and the you know, the all the, the parachutists are coming down and all that. And they had like I think I'm I'm probably misremembering this wildly, and that speaks most likely to my own fear as somebody who has sometimes to make things that like I think he they had one chance at the entire wow. thing. And I think it was his money. And yeah, yeah. I mean, really, some of that stuff is incredibly high stakes. And it's the whole, yeah. it's the whole game, isn't it? Like, you are, yeah. if you don't get that, you, it doesn't matter what else you shot.
0: You haven't got anything. Yeah, it's terrifying, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, this is all fascinating. Tell me this. A, yeah. little, cha- a little change of pace. Chris yeah. Addison, what's the sexiest film ever made? I think it's out of sight. Correct. Am I right? I think You're it correct. is. Oh, good. That's good. I,
2: I do really think it's an unbelievably sexy movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and, it, you know, there is some sex in it, but not in a way that it's not remotely pornographic. I think there's only one <clears throat> sex scene possibly
0: in it. But the. Yeah, there's a don't look now uh, sex scene in it in terms oh, yeah. of time going back and forwards. And but, they are both fit as fuck.
2: They are both fit as fuck. And there is that. And that, my friends, is chemistry. Like it is but, so. Yeah. It is so extraordinary, chemistry. Analysis. I remember being really disappointed with what happened to Jennifer Lopez's career after that because she, I just thought, because that was the first film, wasn't yeah. it? And I remember thinking, God, you've got, that's brilliant. What a talent. And then, and then she did, and I, I speak as somebody whose favourite genre, I make no apologies for this, although the fact that I've said I make no apologies for this is sort of an apology, but I don't make any apologies. My favourite genre Stop is...
0: not apologising for it
2: it's rom-com, rom-com romantic comedy i yeah. fucking love romantic comedies leave me alone but she was in like her choices were terrible made in manhattan and all of those sorts of things uh, but in that first movie that uh, mm-hmm. it, it's so good and i it's sort of good. think soderbergh is interesting isn't he because like he'd made sex lies and videotape which i don't think is a very sexy film it's not at all a sexy film it's sort of the opposite of a sexy film in many ways yeah. and then he made out of sight and it is just like the tension is extraordinary it's Great extraordinary show. that no more time out scene is uh, is amazing because it's sort of where where he's at the top of the stairs isn't he and she's down she's down and <laughs> they kind of uh, yeah it's beautiful because all of the stakes are in that scene and it's, mm. a, it's an I love you scene and it's a we can't get over our jobs scene and there's also still that tension there. It's a, it's a remarkable piece of filmmaking.
0: Love it. Love the soundtrack. Chris Addison. Yes, David Holmes. It's an Dread incredible soundtrack. Riddle me this. There's a subcategory yeah. to this question. So, uh, troubling boners, worrying why don'ts. <laughs> What's the film you found arousing that you thought maybe you shouldn't have?
2: Well, I've, I've, got, I've got two. I've got two to choose Great. from. Great.
0: I thought you were going to tell me. I can't answer that.
2: I've got two to choose from for slightly different... They just you shouldn't be... One of them is Betty Blue, right? Now, Betty Blue is yeah. undoubtedly a sexy film starring yeah. Beatrice Dahl. If you're a man of my specific age, she was absolutely... She was the heartthrob, and particularly for kind of, you know, for sort of indie boys of my, of my age. She was on all kind of uh, university hall walls, right? Yeah. She was stunning, Beatrice Dell. But that character is so damaged, so damaged, that it sort of feels wrong, like it feels really wrong. It's, it's really not – you shouldn't be finding that person sexy because that's – her sexiness is an expression of how badly damaged she is. That is why that's a a troubling movie, and the yeah, other yeah, one, that's... which is also you shouldn't be. That, come on, man, is uh, Ex Machina. Uh,
0: oh, mate! <laughs> I mean, I it, uh, it is the sexiest. Yeah, Ex Machina. Yeah, yeah.
2: This it and it is so wrong. Like it's completely wrong. <laughs> it's about you know because it's. Because the the movie, although it's sort of framed as being about our relationship technology yeah. with technology, it's not at all. It's really about men and women and the yeah. way that men view women, and that's what really you're responding to. So you just as they as they sort of progressively make the 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 android more and more human, it's you sort of feel yourself complete. Please don't go any further with this because this is. I don't, I don't feel good about myself. <laughs> and then it gets worse and worse and worse, that thing. And at the end, you think, well, I probably would have deserved to be trapped in there as well, to be, yeah. ab- to be absolutely honest.
0: It's a bit like Vertigo, I think, in that it sort of goes, yeah, you'll fall in love with her because you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Because you're all idiots. Yeah. And you will oh, fall hi. in love with her.
2: Have you? Are you a heterosexual man with a dick? Yeah. Well, <laughs> here's a film that's going to make you the fool that you actually are. I mean, yeah. it really is <laughs> come on please don't do this to me oh you did it i know I'm i did it to myself enough. but so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's very very troubling i mean really troubling Great, I, did, I felt bad thinking. about myself after that movie but what's to be the... put that to put what? that into context for you brett i feel bad about myself most of the time <laughs> and for a range of different things
0: sometimes a movie can be on and <laughs> i'm not even <laughs> watching it and i'll still be feeling bad about myself yeah what's what's the objectively the greatest film of all time Objectively the greatest yes. film. Might not be your favourite.
2: Well, I think it might be The Rock. Okay, I think it can... might be The Rock. I think The Rock is arguably the best made movie. I mean, it's just an astonishing piece of filmmaking because it is it, it, it treads such a brilliant line between utter high camp. I mean, just mm-hmm. it's so so camp. It's so camp, they would turn it away at the Vauxhall Tavern for being a bit much, right? It is that. Camper movie, and uh, and yeah, it is also this extraordinarily kind of macho thing where every the characters are so appealing in it. Every character is right, you know that they're, they're all the right version of that kind of person. Sean Connery is exactly the right version of the cynical, wisecracking old lad. Nicholas Cage somehow convinces you again that he's a putz when he's clearly like he's clearly not. One of the first things you see, see him do is that, you know, he's got this beautiful girl that he's making love to, and you go, oh, okay, so this guy, like, so we're supposed to think of this uh, and, a, and a motorcycle. And this. So this is a nerd scientist, but somehow <laughs> anyway, somehow he's cool, and uh, that's brilliant, and Harris is a fantastic villain.
0: He's got a point as well, which is unusual in these things.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It includes the most over-the-top uh, climax. It's just that, that end with Nicholas Cage on it, on his knees with the with with the flares. You know, and those those jets have had yeah. time to get to Liverpool by by the time they actually hit the rock. It is so come on. Come on guys. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I I mean it's just an astonishing piece. In the same way that people I know people often say on on, on this on this podcast, you know, in the same way that Die Hard or or, or the mm-hmm. or Back to the Future or whatever are, are really incredibly well put together, I would also actually I would put in those categories my cousin Vinny because I, I think too. I I mean it's a masterclass in how to write a movie. That's it was Dale Lorna who wrote Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Uh, who wrote My Cousin Vinny. And it is, I I really recommend it as, I know Back to the Future is the one that people always say, and you should definitely look at that if you're interested in how to write a script that everything ties up in. But My Cousin Vinny, nothing is wasted in that movie. Every single piece of information that you're given comes back and serves the payoff. It is just great. It's a great, and with with some phenomenal performances at the centre of it. So I would... I think, I mean, I would put that right up there. there. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, Groundhog yeah, Day yeah. as well. Those ones. Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Just everything
0: fits. Very good. I, yeah, I'm going to go with good. The Rock. You're very good at this, actually, Chris Anderson. That's really good. At, you're very good at this podcast. Um, <laughs> what's, the, what's the film you could or have watched the most over and over again?
2: Well, it's a dead heat. I mean, I can't, I'm not sure which of these I have watched most, but these are the two films that I've watched most. And you know when I said my friend Rebecca said I'm the most wholesome person? Yeah. Yeah. Well, these two films are When Harry Met Sally, which I can do at karaoke for you. I mean, again, another astonishing script. Yeah. I can do that entire film. And the other one, (laughs) here you go. The other one is A Room With A View. I've seen A Room With A View, I would think, 30 times, I reckon, I've seen that film. I'm uh, probably the person who's watched that film most out of everybody. In the world. You
0: probably watched it more than Merchant and Ivory.
2: Yeah, I
0: don't think during the editing,
2: James Ivory saw it as 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 much. Um, yeah, no, wow. I loved loved that. I, I saw it at, at film club at my school, mm-hmm. sort of when it came out in '85, something like that. Entirely fell in love with Helena Bonham Carter. Like that was a big thing in my life at that point, um, and really subsequently. It's so incredibly charming. It's very, very funny. It's a proper like I love a coming of age movie. And it's a coming of age movie, really. Uh, and a rom com as well. As be, you know, obviously you sort of think of it as being an a period piece or whatever, which it is, but it is those other things as well. And I like I love I love coming of age movies. That's sort of my yeah. my Gregory's girl, you know. That's 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 in there in my top ten. And and anything that is somebody Fully becoming themselves. That's, mm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm into that. And, I, and Room of the View is sort of that, but it's utterly charming.
0: Excellent answer. Yeah. Uh, I don't like to be negative. I don't know about you. We've talked about it. It's very hard to make a film, but yeah. let's do it quickly. What's the worst film you ever saw?
2: Well, I'll give you an answer in private, but for now, uh, <laughs> <I'll>, <laughs> for <laughs> putting Putting my professionally courteous hat on. Well, there are two movies actually that I'm I'm going to put up here for, I mean, it's really hard to make something at all. Obviously. However, I do recommend if you can find it, that you go and look at the 1990 version of Captain America.
0: Oh, is that a trauma film? Trauma? No, I don't think it is. I
2: think it's actually like, it's some, it's a proper studio. Okay. What did on it? It is, it's, just baffling, especially now when you watch, you know, we're so used to seeing Marvel movies and how much money is spent on them and how wildly professional they are on every level when you go back and watch something that is so cheap uh that they're not really able to do any of the things that you're supposed to do in a superhero movie so like oh, it's like i mean it is it's genuinely bad and the, the, the story is awful it's like it's only an hour and a half or whatever which is really pretty good i think more yeah. superhero movies should be an hour and a half i would be yeah. i'd be there for that but it is yeah like it's clear in lots of places that they, they're having to point the camera in a certain direction. Because you can't, we can't look at what's behind us. So just, if you could just all do that in that one direction, that would be fantastic. Thank you very much. It is extraordinary. So you should definitely, definitely okay. seek that out. But, and this is another superhero movie. This is objectively the worst movie ever made. It isn't my opinion. It is mm. plainly. It's there for you to see on the screen the worst made movie of all time. And it's called, it has two names. It's either called Iron Hero or Metal Man. Now, I really would recommend that you try and track down a DVD of this. Somebody with about $250 has tried to make (laughs) an Iron Man ripoff. And they've done that. Not only, I mean, and and in some regards, you want to go well. Good for them. That is incredibly brave, brilliant. That you're going to back yourself. You know, talent will out. Storytelling is the most important thing. But the story is dog shit. The acting (laughs) is genuinely appalling. But you're really watching something that someone has made in the flats of their mate. Like what what rooms are available to them? I can't really describe it. Well, I can remember. Uh, I saw it, uh, and my my sister and and her husband. I was I was staying with them um, whilst I was doing a gig, and they went, "Oh, you come back, uh, come back after, and we'll watch this this movie." And I don't think I've laughed as much in many many years. So it's Iron Hero or Metal Man. Look it up. It is so had worth. Had they
0: bought it because had they seen it before they showed it to you? Oh, yeah, right. they
2: they knew that it was going to be absolute dog shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and it is genuinely terrible. Nobody involved in it. Is at all talented, and and that sounds so harsh. Until you watch it, like somebody should have taken everybody to one side and gone, "Guys, you just there's just got to no, there's no good outcome here for you."
0: But you were entertained for an hour and a half.
2: Abso- that, that is absolutely true. That cannot be denied. So, in fact, it might be the are, greatest they, movie
0: I've ever seen. Yeah, thank
2: you. <laughs> I totally reversed my position. It's a work of fucking <laughs> genius. I do recommend watching it.
0: Okay. You're in comedy. You're very funny. What's the film that made you laugh the most, other than Metal Man or Iron other
2: Hero? than Metal Man or Iron Hero? Yeah. Uh, well, I think like the film that's made me made me laugh most cumulatively over the years is The Naked mm-hmm. Gun, because one of my bonding moments with my best mate when we first met at university in the early nineties was that our student union was showing the first two Naked Gun movies, and we went and watched and. We both knew them so well that we were laughing. You know when you're laughing in anticipation yeah. of the joke, which is one of my favourite, when you're, when you're enjoying something so much, despite having seen it 84 times, uh, that you're, you're really looking forward to the funny thing that's coming up. Um, we were clutching each other and giggling watching that and um, yeah. have, been, have been firm friends ever since. So, I, yeah, The Naked Gun, I think it's, it's hard to, pound for pound, it's hard to
0: think oh, of a funny sure. movie. You can totally have that. Um, Thanks, man chris addison you've been astonishing you know you're very kind i've loved this however when you you Mm -hmm. were eating a lot of pickles right you're eating a lot of chili pickles and you you got a little rumbling in your tummy you thought oh oh, uh," and your wife said to you i don't think you should eat that last pickle and you said i listen i'm gonna it. i know i'm gonna eat it so my suggestion is you pop in the next room start looking for the paperwork you're gonna have to do i'm gonna just Put a quick call in for the people that I love gently. I'd like them to gather around. So, Simon Blackwell, some old friends from school, not your best friends from school, but the, the second tier. Yeah, people I like, yeah, second tier. Second tier come in, you look over Twitter, a kind couple of people, you know, I, I love these people gently. They pop over. Trafalgar Square, I send a note out, like, hey guys, I think it's coming. So, then a big gathering of people you cared about or didn't care about are yeah. in Trafalgar Square. Your wife and kids are, are there now because you love them too hard to be near you. And, um, and you find a couple of enemies, some people from the test screening that said, H- How dare you be alive, whatever. <laughs> they gather strategically in the room. Anyway, you eat this final pickle and you explode, and your blubber <laughs> connects with the people that you don't like. And it's it, good. It hits them in the face. And, uh, but the people you love gently, they're spared. Anyway, I was, um, walking by mm. your house and I hear this horrific noise which then was followed by the a loud long fart and then I <laughs> chuckled to myself and I thought that yeah. was fine. That's this, how must be, this must be Chris Addison's house. I pop in, I've got a coffee <laughs> with me, you know, what? I'm like Anyway, I'm clearing through the people you love gently. There's loads of them actually, you're a very loving man, but gently. And there I find you, you're an absolute fucking mess. The state of it. I'm having to peel bits of you off people you didn't yeah. like. There's stuff in the curtains. I'm having to take down the whole curtains because I can't get it off. It's all, everything's pickled. Anyway, I stuff all the bits of you into the coffin, but there's far more of you now. I was expecting, what with all the soft furnishings that's come with you. <laughs> stuff you all in the coffin, right? There's barely any room in there. There's only enough room in there. To so put one DVD that I can slide in the side with you, for you to take across to the other side. And when you get to heaven, it's movie night every night. And one night it's your movie night. What film are you taking to show the people of heaven when it's your movie night, Mr. Chris Addison?
2: If it's movie night every night, I think this would be an interesting movie for us to watch. And I I rewatched this at the weekend to test whether I still loved it as much, and I do. We would watch Night on Earth. Oh.
0: Uh, do you know Night Jim on Earth? Amish. Jim yeah, Jarmusch. The Taxi. The taxis. Taxi film,
2: Yeah. The Taxi film. If you have not seen Night on Earth, it is the most enter- – it's so perfect. It's an incredibly entertaining movie. It's about, it's about one night, uh, one night, as Harry always used to do, um, uh, one, <laughs> night on, um, one night on Earth with five taxi drivers at the same sort of period of 20 minutes. Uh, and their their stories. So it starts in LA and then New York, uh, Paris, Rome, Helsinki. And it is just, you know, five completely unconnected stories other than the fact that they take place in taxis. And um, it's really, really lovely, really lovely and funny and sort of soulful and mm-hmm. bittersweet, all the good Jim Jammu stuff. And it's a really good example of that sort of early 90s art house stuff that I quite liked.
0: Really, really good. Now, Chris Addison, before we say goodbye, is there anything you would like people to watch for, look out for, listen to, anything? Breeders, I believe, is on its way. Breeders two.
2: Yeah, Breeders. Yeah, so so that will be Breeders season two um, is currently uh, every Monday night on FX in America. Uh, you can also see, catch up on uh, FX on Hulu, uh, and you can also see season one there. In this country, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and for now Northern Ireland, um, then uh, you can see that on Sky starting on May the twenty seventh, and it uh, will also be on Now or uh, as Now TV is now called, and you mm-hmm. can catch up on Sky and Now on the previous season already. Brilliant. Also, have you seen Ted Lasso? You should I've seen only it. Watched Ted <laughs> Lasso. Yeah, not your sort yeah. of thing, was it? Not.
0: <laughs> not for me, but for me. I appreciate the thinking behind it. Uh, <laughs> Chris Addison a delight thanks man god bless you have a lovely death and (laughs) um, see you soon good day to you sir good day to you so that was episode 148 head over to patreon.com forward slash brett goldstein for the extra 30 minutes of chat secrets and video with chris Head to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. But don't write about the show, write about the film that means the most to you and why. It's a lovely thing to read, it does help numbers, etc. And it is really appreciated by my neighbour Maureen. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Chris for doing the show. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to ACAS for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Layland for the photography. Come and join me next week for another incredible blinder of a guest. So that is it for now. In the meantime, have a lovely week and please be excellent to each other. maureen your canva presentation looks brilliant thanks brett that's because i used ai powered canva presentations i just described what i wanted and canva presentations generated the perfect slides you can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time check this out recording 101 reasons why beaches is the saddest film ever made by your neighbor maureen Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva Presentations at canva.com, designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbor, Maureen. Yeah, thank you.